Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. So open our Bibles to Luke 15. Uh, we'll be looking at the entirety of this chapter. And if you're visiting Christ Church today, we're grateful you're with us. Uh, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers uh, here. We've been looking at the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, and the good news of who he is and what he's done. And last uh, three weeks, we have been in Luke 15. We've been taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and mashing them together and finding a chronology of the story of Jesus as best can be depicted over a time frame. And we spent three weeks in Luke 14, a very intense chapter, where Jesus tells some stories that tells us several things about our relationship with him. First of all, he invites us to his banquet. And there is a place at at the table with him that we have not earned. It's given because he loves us and he cares for us. And he's challenged us to not only receive that invitation to the table, but to honor it by inviting others to join us in the celebration. Then last week, we got to a very intense passage where Jesus defines his expectations for us, how we meet him on his terms. And those terms are simply, he expects full love, loyalty, and sacrifice. He expects us to make him the priority. So before we slip into the, oh no, another obligation in my life, another demand I can't meet, uh, another thing I'm going to fail at, today's passage in Luke 15 will show us that not only is what he asks us reasonable, but what he's asked for us is doable because of who he is and what he provides for us. So with that context, I'd like to begin uh, by taking you into Luke 15, into one of the richest chapters in all of Luke's gospel, and one of my favorite texts to think through, and that helps me know who Jesus is. And that's the ultimate end result of what we're after this morning, is to understand Jesus on his own terms means that we have to be able to uh, receive him, not just his kingdom, not just his promises, but who he is. And Luke 15 tells us why what he asks of us is not only reasonable, but it's also doable. Let's begin in verse 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. If you count the various moments that Jesus is criticized, according to my research, uh, this is the most common criticism of Jesus, who he hung out with. And who he ate with. You see, in that culture, eating together was a a matter of intimacy. That you did not just open your home to just anybody, but it was an act of hospitality to show their worth and relationship. And so they were talking about who Jesus hung out with. And the beautiful part of it is Jesus never once defends himself or simply says, yeah, you're probably right. He ignores these intrusions into why he's here, but he uses them as teaching moments. So if we're going to understand who Jesus is, I want us to look at Luke 15 and just today be blessed by who he is. So let's look at our first of four points. Jesus reveals who he is by his reaction to our foolishness. How does he respond when we make foolish choices? In verses 3 and 4, Jesus told them this parable. When he heard the criticism, he responded by giving them some everyday life moments that revealed who he was. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, being an American kid, growing up in this country, my response to that question is, nope. If you got 99 on the hill, why leave them for the one that keeps wandering away? Just let it go. 
And yet, I'm understanding from the culture that his audience would have gone, of course you do. Because you would put the 99 in the safety of the pen and you would have gone after, you would have left them on a hillside. Why? Because sheep are foolish animals. Sheep don't have any defense mechanisms. They're not very bright. They get lost all the time. And they can't get themselves out of the holes they dig for themselves. Not literally, but figuratively. So every time Jesus calls us his little lambs, we always go, oh, that's so sweet. Maybe not. Maybe not at all. See, they're foolish. They wander away with no plan. They don't know how to return. They can't defend themselves. They can't manage the dangers they confront. And then I also learned this. Sheep aren't led. They're driven. And I don't mean that's their personality, like they're type A's. That's not what I mean. It means like if you're walking your dog around your neighborhood and you release your dog off the leash and you say go home, a dog has the ability to find its way home. It knows where it's where it eats, it knows where it sleeps, it knows where it's toys, it knows where its favorite spots in the yard are. You can release your dog and your dog gone. It'll go right home and it'll meet you there. Sheep, not so much. You don't send a sheep in a direction because they don't understand direction. They just start eating and then look up one time going, wow, that's a cliff. And they don't know how to get away from it. So when Jesus uses this imagery, he's talking about people who aren't, I'm not, don't give me, I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm not referring to people as dumb here. What I'm simply saying is, have you ever been foolish? Have you ever made a choice and someone asked you what were you thinking and your honest response was, I wasn't. I just did that. It felt right. It felt good. I ended up making a foolish choice. And Jesus says, then a good shepherd, not just a shepherd, but a good shepherd will go find the sheep. Won't he go looking for the one? Now let's take it away from sheep right now because some of us are disinterested. I get it. I see your expressions. You're like, who cares? Well, let me explain something. Across that hallway, to my right, to your left, out those doors is our early childhood education. That's our nursery and preschoolers. If Kim or Tammy, who lead that ministry over there, came bopping in these doors, opened it up and said, Mark, we're missing a child. How would you feel if I said, how many were there? There were 100. Are there still 99? Yeah, we're good. Uh, Let's go back to work. It's fine. No, what would we all do? Stop the sermon. We're dismissed because we're going to go find ourselves what? A child. Because that child matters. The child know, is known and matters. And for the record, 65 plus years of ministry, it's never happened. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But you would say that child's important. And Jesus is saying the lamb would be important to the shepherd, right? To a good shepherd. You see, Jesus cares. Now listen to me. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus cares what happens to you, even if you're the reason it happened. Man, I wanted an amen. I haven't got one yet. I mean, isn't that what we value about the gospel? That even if we're the reason we're in trouble, Jesus cares that we're in trouble. And less about the reason. You see, what we learn here is that Jesus celebrates when he can return us to his care. The reason I told you that sheep are not led, they're driven, is because what Jesus is about to teach us. Verse 5. And when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and he goes home. Why do you carry a lamb? Because it won't get there on its own. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. But Jesus, we don't like who you're hanging out with. He goes, yeah, I know. I love hanging out with him. And I celebrate hanging out with him. 
and the fact that I can go hang out with them and some of them return back with me and I can provide protection for them and I don't even care what, how they got in this condition. I just care about their condition. I celebrate it. You see, we have a God who celebrates church regardless of what we've thought in the past. You know, a God who barely tolerates us, a God who's always annoyed with us, a God who's so disappointed with our weak efforts. We don't have that. Jesus said, let me show you. There is celebration in heaven when one person realizes I was foolish and turns back toward the shepherd. The second thing I want you to see here is pretty simple. Jesus reveals who he is by his reaction to our carelessness. The first state he sees us in is some of us have made foolish choices and then some of us have made careless choices or maybe our condition is because someone was careless with us. That's what I tend to think is happening here. Let's look at the verses 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. I want to pause here for a moment to give you cultural background. This isn't a feminist statement. It's not a misogynistic statement. It's just what Jesus is pointing out. A woman back there couldn't work. Okay, she couldn't go out and get a job. Now, she would work within the house, maybe sell stuff in the marketplace, but she couldn't be the sole provider. So when Jesus uses a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one, what he's suggesting is she probably is only going to have 10 coins until she spends them. And if she loses one, that's not something she can go make up tomorrow by doing another sale. Are you with me? He has their attention. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully search, it until she, search for it until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There are some things that happen to us that are pure foolishness. We just weren't wise. We weren't thinking. And then there's other things that are just careless, whether it's happened because of you or to you. There are many people in this room who have been hurt and damaged by another person's choice over them. Someone who wasn't thinking about them or caring for them or providing for them and harmed them or used them for horrible purposes. Or maybe you've been careless with your own value and your own worth and find it diminished. Because Jesus is talking about worth here. So I'm going to ask you a riddle. And I know this church never answers any of my questions, so you can't embarrass yourself by doing what you normally do, which is not answer, okay? But reason with me this morning. How much value does a $5 bill that is lost have? The actual value is zero. Because unless someone can take that $5 bill and redeem it, it has no real value. It has only theoretical value. So if you have a $5 bill and it's in your hand, it can buy you $5 worth of happiness. Red licorice. Oh my goodness, I went in Casey's this week. This is a sidebar. I went in Casey's this week. Do you know they sell half-pound Reese's cups? There is a God and he is so good. Seriously. Fat Mark was looking at that going, I want you, but I decided not to. I'm hoping my friend Mike Smith buys it for me. Okay, so how much value does a $5 bill have that is lost? Zero. How much does a silver coin that's lost have? Has no value because nobody can redeem it. It's lost. And that's the principle behind what Jesus is talking about over and over. The sheep get lost because they're foolish, and the coin got lost because someone was careless. And Jesus says, won't you sweep and search to find that value? Of course you will. And Jesus came to restore our value by coming to find us. Lost and separated from him, we have no value. When he possesses us, we have every bit of value we were created to have. It's restored immediately. That $5 bill, when found, has $5 worth of power. 
A human being in the hands of its creator has all the power it was ever given in creation. Without the creator, it cannot be used anywhere near the value it was created to be. You see, Jesus came to restore lost value. And he, care, and he cares about us regardless of how we got in the condition we got in. She finds the coin, she keeps looking and looking and looking. I read some research this week that said of all the healings found in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your Bible, if you take them, there's roughly 40 healings that take place. And one scholar said that 34 of those healings happened because they did not find Jesus, Jesus found them. I love that. That a majority of the healings in the Bible, Jesus went to someone who needed him. He found them in their condition, whether it was because of carelessness or foolishness or they were born that way. It didn't matter if it was a spiritual weakness or a physical weakness or a social weakness. He found them, he ministered to them, and he loved them. So here's what we've learned so far. This is about the God that we sometimes can miscast as this disconnected, angry father. Jesus celebrates when he can return us to his care, and Jesus celebrates when he can restore our value. And our value is best restored when we're in his possession. When there's a lost person that returns to safety and has their value restored, my Bible says, my God celebrates. And you've often heard it said, well, the angels are rejoicing. Where are the angels? Around the throne of God. And God is not disinterested. God is leading them in the celebration. Thirdly, we learn that Jesus reveals who he is by his reaction to our willfulness. Foolishness, carelessness, and now the one we're all familiar with, willfulness. Jesus tells a very famous story. It's been misappropriated a title. It's been called the prodigal son. I'll tell you why I think that that's not accurate. Verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. Look at verse 14. And he began to be in need. A younger son cannot ask his dad for his inheritance because it's not his. See, two-thirds of a father's estate would go to the oldest son. The remaining third would be divided between the remaining sons and daughters. So this younger son, to ask his father, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in telling his story. He said, imagine a son who has no right or claim on his father, asking his father to give him what he has not earned and does not deserve. And the father chooses to let him have it. And he takes it, he goes away, he wastes it. He spends it on the exact opposite things his father would have wanted him to have. He takes his father's hard-earned resources and blows it on stuff that makes him feel good and look good. That's the scene we have. And then in verse 14, he begins to be in need. So we jump to verse 15. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. The lamb was, is foolish. The coin, it was careless. The son was a choice. 
It was a willful choice. He knew what he was doing and he did it anyway. And then he realized, I love the moment that Jesus tells the story. When he has this need and he's living in despair, he said, I can no longer count myself a son because I wish my father dead. I walked away from my father. I wished him dead by asking for my inheritance. And now I'm going to go back. And at least I know if I go to my father's house and I renegotiate our relationship, if I just come back and say, let me serve in your house, you take care of your slaves better than I'm being taken care of now. I just want to go back and serve you. I want to repay my debt. I never expect to be your son again. It's called repentance. He's weighed what he did. He's measured it out and he's owned it. And so he returns to his father. And what Jesus is offering us here is listen and look at the beauty of the unwarranted return. Verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice the father's reaction here. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and, you see a theme here? And celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. His love is willing to patiently wait. There's such a beautiful moment here. There's many beautiful moments here. But what I love is the son returns and he says the first words. He calls him father and he says, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I've done what's wrong. He's owning the fact that my choices were not right. I did the wrong thing. I didn't do the ethical thing or the moral thing. I did my selfish thing. He comes back to his father. He said, I deserve to be your servant. Just let me serve in your house. I don't have to be your son. And I love what it says. The father said to his servants quickly, quick, right now, restore him fully. Church, is it good news? That we have a father who doesn't ask us to repay. He doesn't ask us to grovel and beg. He doesn't say, you took four years and wasted my money and my hard-earned materials. You're going to serve me for four years. And then we'll talk about whether or not you're right. And whether or not you're back. And whether or not you're my son. No, the father says immediately and quickly, I will not hear of this nonsense that you're not my son. And yet many people want to portray God as a God who makes you pay back and grovel and beg. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, no, when you return home, my father celebrates. He celebrates every time. And you don't have to pay back any bills and you don't have to pay back any loans. You just need to come home because you're turning from what you chose and rejecting what you chose to choose the father. That's what repentance is. And true love is willing to allow you the chance to respond because you love him rather than because you're obligated. And Jesus celebrates when he can realize, when we realize unconditional love. You see, what Jesus is pointing out here is through the criticism. Look who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with sinners. He eats with them. He acts like it's not a big deal. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. Their sin is a big deal. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm rescuing the lamb. That's why I'm rescuing the coin. That's why I'm rescuing the son. It is a big deal, and that's why I've come. You see, we think Jesus didn't have anything to do with sinners, and yet if he didn't have anything to do with sinners, we would all still be what? Dead in our sin. Broken and abandoned and desperate. No hope. No peace. Like the prodigal son, we can't fix ourselves. Returning home doesn't solve what he did. He still did what he did. All the things he did in the past, all the money he wasted, all the disrespect he showed his father, all the selfishness and sin that he lived in, he cannot fix it by returning home. But he returns home, and there his father forgives it. 
There his father takes care of it for him. You and I can't turn back the clock. I can't unmake a bad decision. You can't can't crack a mirror and and just fix it with the same piece of glass. It's got to be replaced. The younger son wanted to fix it. His father said, I won't hear it. Put the ring back on his finger instantly. Put the robe back on him. Put sandals on his feet. My son is home. He is restored. The lamb is restored. The coin is restored. And the son is restored. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about what this means. To the Corinthian church, he writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we return home, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Immediately. Instantly. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only is it immediately taken care of that we're restored, but we get the joy of telling other people the restoration of the love of God is instantaneous if you'll turn home. He will protect you like a good shepherd. He will restore your value like someone who's found a lost coin, and he will let you come home and be a part of his household as he wants from the very beginning. But this is often called the prodigal son, and unfortunately, we've misunderstood. Jesus begins this story by saying, a father had how many sons? Two. The actual best title would be the prodigal sons, plural. Because fourthly, Jesus reveals who he is by our reaction to his compassion. And Jesus reveals who he is by our reaction to his compassion. You see, if you notice, the two or the three previous illustrations are all about his reaction to our condition. The fourth part of the story that he tells is about our reaction to him. Let me explain verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because... He has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father and listened to the tone and the words. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, huh, I thought it was his brother, When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice the dad picked it up too. He said, your son. He goes, no, you mean your brother? This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. If we tell this story and we only talk about the boy who ran away, we're actually going to miss about... We're going to miss the story about the boy who ran away by never going away. You see, the older brother was there all the time, but his heart was in a distant land too. The difference between the two boys is one actually left and the other just stayed. Notice what he says to his father. You never gave me anything. I slaved for you. Wow. That's why you served your dad. Can you see behind the scene? The older son is actually saying when you... When you killed the fattened calf, that was my fattened calf, not yours. He got his already. He got his already. I've been waiting patiently for you to die so I can have all your stuff. He didn't love his father. He loved his father's possessions. 
said, you never celebrated me. And his father's like, you don't understand. Everything I have has already been yours. It's yours now. You could have had it. We would have celebrated. But I have to celebrate when my lamb or my coin or my son returns. You want to know who Jesus is? You want to know why he asks such big demands of us? It's because he gave to every one of our demands. He gave his blood, he gave his life, he gave us hope, and he gave us peace. You see, Jesus celebrates when he can return us to his care. He celebrates when he can restore our value. And he celebrates when we realize his unconditional love for ourselves. So what are we supposed to do with that? Around the tables, in the room this morning, in the corner, are four tables with lamps lit on those. And some of our elders are going to be going to these tables, or some of our staff will be there because I'd like to challenge every single person in this room to understand this morning that what we're talking about is a God who celebrates us. So let's give him a reason to celebrate. We actually saw this morning in this service how privileged we were to see three people walk into that window and boldly make a profession of faith to say that Jesus restores my value when he washes me clean of my sins and he brings me home. But I want every single one of us to make a decision today, whether it's public or private. It's not important to me, but it is important to God what you do with the truth of who he is. It's not just to be thought about or to be sung about. It's actually to be lived out. So will you let his coming to us and dying return you to his care and restore your value? For those of you who think you've done too much, you've gone too far, you can't be fixed, you can't unbreak the glass... You say, Mark, if you had a clue what I'm in right now, I can tell you, I don't have a clue what you're dealing with right now, but I know one who does, and he came for this purpose to tell you, I can find you when you're lost. I can find you when you wandered away. I am inviting you home. You can't outsend his love. You can't stop him from caring about your condition, no matter how you got there. You can't tell Jesus you have no value because when he gets his hands on you, and he owns your heart, your full value is instantly restored. Can you let his mercy overcome your pride and call you home? Can you see your real need? Not just the needs you can fix with money or with fame or with relationships. Can you understand that the hurt of your heart cannot be satisfied by a new car? It can't be satisfied by a promotion. It can't be satisfied by more clothes or more jewelry or more vacations. That those things, none of them are evil in themselves unless they become the gods you worship. Can you understand what this young man did when he spent his entire life trying to find his own happiness and he had a need he could not meet and he realized where that need could be met and he returned home. Can you Walk away from your pride and accept the gift that's been given you in Jesus and let him celebrate you as you come home, to embrace you, to put the ring on your finger and the crown on your head and to announce to the world, the princess has arrived again. She's back where she needs to be. Listen to his heart. And this morning, choose to enter the celebration of the many who are returning. Join with us. The difference between the saved and the unsaved in this room is not good versus evil. It's those who chose to return and those who stay away. And for those of us that are in the kingdom and we're sitting in the midst of the celebration, if your heart doesn't leap when people make a decision for Christ, when, when, the, when the, the alcoholic and the broken person and those who have addictions and those who have ruined their relationships with sin, when they return home instead of going, well, they needed to, we should celebrate with tears in our eyes because their story is our story. We got to come home.
We were foolish and found. We were devalued and restored. And we were lost and returned. See, some of the biggest turnaround may be for the people already in the church. Like the older son. We need to quit saying, I'm slaving away for you, Father. You've never given me anything when he has already given you his entire kingdom in Jesus. Everything we need. So this morning during our time of musical worship, these four men around these tables would be happy to meet with you. If you're uncomfortable meeting with a man, go tell them that. They're used to it. They'll find you a lady to pray with you right now. But don't let the, the pride and the size of this room keep you from saying... He is good, so good. And I need some good in my life. And then you'll find that the love and the loyalty and the sacrifice he asks of you is not unreasonable. He has given you all the strength you need to give him everything he asks. As we stand and sing, if you have a decision to make, please come to one of these tables. We'd love to help you with it. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.